Welcome to the 63rd episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A. Toves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to preview the American Conference opener against Temple. Let's get started. Before we get into talking about Temple, let's talk about a couple of changes we saw on the depth chart this week. Okay. Nothing really significant, but on the offensive line, all of the starters are the same, but Payne Abair, Ben Rios are back on the lineup as you know twos or oars. Um, and then Daniel Ogundapi is not on the two deep. We saw a tweet from him a couple of days ago where he had like praying hands. So I'm not sure if that means he's maybe injured or something else is going on there. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the O-line changes? Well, I don't really remember what these guys were injured with to begin with. But if they're lower body injuries, they could just be placed on the on the Ross or the depth chart just so kind of throw Stan Drayton and his staff off a little bit. One thing to think about is we are expecting some sloppy conditions at Lincoln Financial Field on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So slippery conditions, lower body, it's, that's, I mean, even with Frank Harris, you're kind of wondering, like, should he even play because of that? Yeah. We'll see what happens there, too. But, you know, I, it would be especially difficult for these offensive linemen because of the fact that they're big dudes. And yeah. you just don't want them having some lingering or lower body injuries. The other thing is that there are four tight ends listed for the first time on the depth chart. Patrick Overmar um, has been added. Still no Dishman, but I think it's interesting to see that there's actually four tight ends listed. Um, I wonder if maybe that's just them trying to add some additional depth for blocking because of the O-line injuries, or do you think we're going to see some more 12 personnel with them being involved in the receiving game. No, I'm with you. I, I think it's absolutely them trying to say, we're going to have Ben Rios and Payne Avery on the depth chart, but we're going to play maybe Patrick Overmeyer and some of these tight ends to help supplement you know, our offensive line. So, I mean, obviously they love to go out of 12 personnel, but I still want to believe that it's just to help out this offensive line, just to maybe get it out to the receivers, maybe and hopefully some quicker passes. We'll get to that, though. Yeah, and speaking of the receivers, Chris Carpenter is back on the lineup. He didn't play in Tennessee. Um, not exactly sure what his injury was after Army, but um, good to see that he is back on the lineup. A couple of interesting moves. Amador has been moved to slot and McEwen to flank. What do you make of those changes? It feels like they're getting to their actual natural positions, right? Like It, mm-hmm. it feels like it's taken, what, we're on game five now for the staff to finally figure out, oh, we need to have you know, David Amador in in the slot position to kind of, you know, get him getting him in there against either a safety or maybe even lined up against a linebacker and have a mismatch there. You know, something to build his confidence as well as, you know, giving the maybe a better target for, you know, our quarterbacks to throw to. And then, you know, with Devin McCune, he's a fast guy. And, you know, the the bottom line is you're going to want him one-on-one on the outside with somebody. Mm-hmm. And whether it's just the threat of him out there or whether he actually, you know, makes some big plays, uh, the threat permeates throughout the offense and it kind of helps open things up. So, you know, all it takes is him to make one big catch down the sideline or even across the middle, you know, on a deep post and we're good to go. So uh, it's good to see his speed, you know, getting used in the right spot. Yeah, another a notable person who is not on the depth chart is Pig Cage. Not exactly sure why, so I'm not sure if there's an injury or something more. We're going to learn about that, but certainly hadn't seen anything in his play that would make me think that he had gotten replaced. If you look at the PFF scores, I mean, they're low. Mm-hmm. So 
sure, maybe you're trying to get some other guys in there. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's... I guess there's been so many problems that it's been hard to say, ooh, Pig Cage is a huge problem, at, mm-hmm. you know, at his position. So, yeah, it, it's it's a bit of a surprise, but, you know, sometimes that's just what you do again. Like, you know, you brought in, you know, we talked about the offensive line of how we're showing Ben Rios and Payne Abraham. Maybe we're not showing Pig Cage. Maybe he will still show up and play. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see on Saturday. Yeah, of course, JT and um, Frank are still game-time decisions, so I'm not sure exactly who's going to be starting there. I'd imagine we'll probably see Taiki start with maybe JT playing some reps, but not exactly sure what's going to happen there, and certainly big question marks still at the quarterback position. Again, weather's going to play, I think, a big factor in how they look and whether they get to go on the field. Look, it's not a strong Temple team. However, you, you get scared, right? You really do want to wrap some of these guys around Yeah, it. I mean, putting JT <laughs> back into a, sl- a situation with the slippery grass. Yes. I don't know that that's probably going to be the best situation. And, I mean, that's kind of what the field conditions, and maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but it feels like they were a little bit slippery at UAB last year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you want to protect them as much as you can. I, so, if we don't have to take the chance, let's not. But I can see him getting at least maybe, you know, they talked about like 20, 25 snaps. So, you know, just him getting out there, at least being able to run around, do some, you know, get some reps in and then, you know, hopefully start increasing that as we come back into the Dome against UAB the week after. Zay Frazier is not on the depth chart. Interesting comments made from Trailer earlier this week made it sound like there's some kind of maybe compliance issue going on with Zay. He really didn't want to get into the details or to talk about it, so I'm not sure that we're going to get a whole lot of additional information as the weeks go on, but certainly sounds like there's something more serious going on with that situation. It's bizarre, isn't it, though? I mean, because he's he's been with us now, was it two seasons? Yeah. So, you know, what is it that came up this this year five games in? And I'm already counting the Temple game, but, sure. you know, at least five weeks in, that all of a sudden we have to step back and say, oh, there is this issue that's occurring. So, I mean, we can speculate, but, yeah. uh, you know, the reality is just overall bizarre situation. So I I don't blame Trailer for not wanting to go down that road because, you know, it, it's got to be something that's with the NCAA or something going on there. So speaking of Trailer, let's kind of talk about some of his comments recently. <laughs> sure, sure, let's do that. All right. One of the first things that kind of stood out was, you know, him talking about really in my head out of both sides of his mouth. Right. At one point, he'll say, hey, we're trying to figure out who we are. And then in the next minute, he's saying, we know exactly who we are. Okay, what, is, what do you mean? Like, and, and I think to me, I think what's, what's difficult is the fact that a reporter doesn't ask follow-up questions mm-hmm. like, or hears somebody else's interview and says, well, wait a second, like in this other interview, you know, you said that... You didn't know who you guys are, but right now you just said that you know who you are. It's one thing if you're going to say, well, you're painting them into a picture of, yes, they're one and three, and they're not very good right now. That's one thing. But he's not really kind of elaborating on it. It's more of a, just a blanket, we don't know who we are, but we do know who we are. Yeah, a lot of times these comments come out, it seems, when he's being challenged. It's almost like he'll say something like, we're still trying to figure out who we are or we're not playing that well when and he'll make those comments in interviews when 
he's not being challenged. But then as soon as, you know, somebody pushes back or asks him a question that makes him on the, you know, go on the defensive, that's when he responds with, we know exactly who we are. We've got this figured out. We've got this team. Like, and you're contradicting yourself, but then you're also almost just responding in a way like you've been challenged and so this is just your kind of go-to response or something. And I get that fans will look at it and say, well, sometimes they're just quotes taken out of context. But that's where I think you need to go back and actually listen to the interview and take those UTSA Roadrunner glasses off and just see it for what it is. It's a guy that's frustrated. Right. It's a guy that's clearly has you know, a lot of questions surrounding the status of his program because he's coming off two championships. He's, you know, hasn't really been questioned very hard or challenged very hard in the last three seasons. You know, something we were talking about off, you know, away from the pod was he's had challenging moments where he's been, in our eyes, socked in the mouth. But he always answered with something else. Mm -hmm. Because as you said before in one of the previous podcast episodes, there were the intangibles that he had. He had a healthy Frank. He had, you know, a, a stable offensive coordinator, someone that looked like, you know, knew exactly how they wanted to formulate a game plan and had the team executing at that. You know, there was always something there. You know, the culture was there. So when things just aren't working and everything is kind of has, I mean, it's like you're springing leaks everywhere, right? Yeah, and that, that's kind of what it feels like this year. He can deal with one or two situations, but right now he's got three different situations going on at the same time, right. and it's almost too much or it's overwhelming. It's like, you know, you're looking at, okay, I've got some issues with my offensive coordinator, still trying to figure some things out. Maybe he's going to need some more time to grow or take a little bit longer to develop than he anticipated. And then you couple that with Frank's injury, which he wasn't expecting. Right. Or he wasn't expecting it to be as long. And then you couple it with the fact that JT's injuries may be taking a little bit longer. And now we've got these three things, and I could have dealt with two of them, but I don't know how to deal with all three of them at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, we've all been there, right? Like, we've we've had issues at work where we're like, okay, we stopped this, you know, this leak over here, but there's these two other leaks over here. And like, so we all get overwhelmed. The difference is, of course, we don't have a microphone in front of our face, and trailer's just making things worse at times by just talking and just kind of the word vomit, right? Yeah, I've got the receipts that he's, you know, collecting so that at the end of the season when things go well and they end up in the conference championship, he can, you know, make fun of all of us who've critiqued him or whatever. Yet, in the the same manner, that same week, he'll say, as he's saying that he's collecting these receipts, he'll say, we're just not a very good team. So are you collecting your own receipts? Because yeah. you're also stating the obvious to us. Look, we don't. We know you guys aren't playing well. And we're not trying to figure out every single answer. But we are going to dig a little bit to figure out what is your mindset. And, and how are you going to make an adjustment? Right. And what are some of those adjustments? To me, I'd just love to hear him just say, look, we're gonna ha- we've made some adjustments, but you'll judge us on them on Saturday. And he's kind of started saying that this week, which, which makes me feel better. But on the other hand, I'm just like, I just scratch my head at times because it's like, you do need to kind of take a step back for a second, take a deep breath, and just, don't just blurt anything out because it just makes things worse and it makes the program kind of feel much more downtrodden. I mean, he feels, obviously, like I said, he's, he's frustrated, but it just doesn't feel like there's the same spark going into 
temple. Mm-hmm. I guess the only good news is when we listen to Stan Drayton in his press conference, he also sounded like a man who'd been punched in the face. Right, because I was going to say, speaking of which, Dan Drayton, right? Right. Like, this is the same guy. Now, there's two different situations here. You have, as we just talked about with Jeff Trailer, is coming off two championship seasons, and now he's going into new conference. You know, obviously expectations that he set have us thinking, you know, winning the conference, going to the conference championship in the first season in AAC. You have Stan Drayton that has been a career assistant, been a long-time running backs coach. He's very good at what he does, but now he's taking over this Temple program that hasn't been really infusing its team with talent. It's not like they've been underachieving because they just don't really have that talent. And it's pretty evident because he had this great quote here during the media roundtable that they had for Temple on Monday, which was, it sounds like excuses, but we're very young in spots. And unlike UTSA, who went to the junior colleges, we went to high school and got our kids. So they're having to play, which that will pay off. That's the positive, that our young guys are going to play and that will pay off in the long term. Yeah, no, look, I agree, Stan. The problem here is that, much like Jeff Trailer, you have so many holes that you're trying to plug yeah. that it's going to take time. And, you know, it's it's quite obvious, I think, that, you know, he's, he's going through some frustrations of him believing that it's at a certain spot. Are you getting the same kind of vibes from that, too? Yeah, I mean, certainly. I thought it was interesting that he took a shot with the, oh, well, you know, they went to the junior colleges. Well... UTSA is in a different situation than you are. We've been able to recruit under Jeff Trailer and start to develop some guys. So, yeah, we're plugging some holes from the junior colleges. For depth, right? <laughs> right, for depth, where you're just plugging holes in general, starters and, you know, <laughs> right. and depth. And really, when we get into talking more about their players... That is one of the issues that they have is that they have some talent at their starters, but they have no depth. And in other positions, they really don't have, you know, that level of talent at their starters either. And so, you know, they're just trying to kind of muddle through it. But Well, really, he's got a, like the empty cupboard. I mean, that's what he inherited. And that's the unfortunate part. Jeff Trailer came into UTSA and he did not have an empty cupboard. Sure. You know, so... It's going to be different situations, and Stan's going to take a little bit of time, and he, I think he's going to get a long enough niche to say, we're not going to fire you after this season. Right. Though he and Trailer sound like they're going to get fired, right? Oh, yeah, they both sound like <laughs> coaches that are like on the verge of, A, having the fan base turn against him, and B, getting fired. So here's this quote from Temple's Rivals that uh, after that post-press conference, that they put in this article about the entire press conference, and they said, look, Monday's press conference had a dull feel to it. Maybe it's a realization by Drayton that this team just isn't good enough right now to compete, and the program is a year behind where he hoped it would be. Again, injuries don't help, but even when close to full strength, the Owls have often shown they're a step behind better competition. Look, I cannot imagine that you're going to believe that you're going to be this middle of the road slash top end AAC team after one year. Yeah. It's it's a nice fantasy. And I think every coach wants to believe that. But again, Stan's going to take a little bit more time. And I think Temple Rivals uh, team over here just summarized it pretty well. So let's go talk about some of their tem- their players, right? Yeah. Let's I mean, start off with the quarterback. Who do they have a quarterback? EJ Warner, which is a name that you um, have probably heard because his father is Kurt Warner. Um, he's a true sophomore, 
he's doing better this year, but, you know, I think the challenge for EJ is that they've sort of put the team on his shoulders. And that's yeah. a lot to ask for a sophomore. Right. You know, one of the things about him is that he is a pocket passer. He's kind of that statue. You know, he's the kid who's going to stand there in the pocket and take a sack rather than scramble. So when they ask him to do this, you know, kind of take the team on his shoulders, it's a little different than what we've have talked about maybe in the past with Frank, where we've said, you know, Frank's had to put the team on his shoulders, but Frank can use his legs to kind of scramble and get extra yardage where that's not EJ style. So he's going to try and fit in those passes or try to do something with his arm strength. And a lot of times that unfortunately leads to turnovers. Very much like his dad. His dad was pretty much a statue, but his dad was also just like, just like EJ showing. And much to your point, He's, they're staying there tough on the on these blitzes, and you know he's delivering the ball out of there, and it it's great because normally young quarterbacks panic much sooner and mm-hmm. throw the ball much sooner. Uh, the thing is, much like you said with DJ here though, is that I think he's going to have to learn to at least escape a little bit more. Yeah, like roll out of the pocket or right. something. Owen McCown, who actually his dad has a connection to Kurt Warner that we'll talk about here in a second. Owen has that knack for just getting out of the pocket and just moving, sensing the pressure and making, getting himself out of there to make sure that he doesn't get sacked or doesn't lose many yards. You know, the last thing you want is a sack of like nine or ten yards. That's that's the Frank Harris, right? Frank's going to run around and think he can get away from the defender sometimes, and he's going to give up a bigger play. Whereas Owen's going to say, nah, I'm going to try to like move towards the line of scrimmage or try to sidestep and try to at least make it like a two or three yard loss because I need to learn, you know, I have to fight for the next down, right? So there's differences in approaches there. I think EJ is going to have to learn how to be more like Owen, mm-hmm. much like his dad when he was kind of working with Kurt uh, with the Cardinals. Yeah. So like you mentioned, fun fact, Kurt Warner and Josh McCown were on the same team, uh, the Arizona Cardinals in 2005. Warner was the starter. Uh, McCown was the backup. And then until... Warner got injured, McCown became the starter for a while, then Warner earned the starting position back, so they kind of went back and forth. So it'll be interesting to see if Owen plays this game, you know, having these two former teammates see their sons go against each other on the field is kind of an interesting little tidbit that I'm sure will be talked about quite a bit, um, regardless of whether Owen plays or not. I, it'd be a fun reunion, right? Like, you know, just two guys that were in the lead together uh, and just reminiscing back to their days. Yeah, it, it's got to be great. Let's talk real quick about some of the weapons that EJ has on offense. First of all, we'll talk about their running back, Joquez Smith. Look, <laughs> Temple has had a lot of problems rushing the ball. Yeah. A lot of it because, not because of Joquez, a lot of it because their offensive line just can't hold up. On, mm-hmm. Can't hold up uh, pass blocking. And then when it comes to run blocking, they're just not doing a very good job either. So it's really limiting what this offense can do. And it, like we said, it puts more pressure on EJ to have to make a play. You know, I think Joe Quest Smith is pretty good. But, I mean, just not having any sort of blocking, it, it's you're just not going to be successful. Yeah, I mean, against good FBS teams, they've only been able to run just under 70 yards per game. <laughs> I mean, Miami, it was... I don't even know if they got 20 yards per game um, in that game of rushing yards. If you look at their overall stats, it's going to look 
very different, but that's because they had the one FCS game. I think they played Norfolk State, and they had like something like 290 yards of rushing. So their average is going to look a little bit high, but when you really narrow it down and look at how they played against Akron and Rutgers, it was pretty much an air raid. Right, and the thing is, that's tough for Drayton because he's a running backs coach, right? Like, he wants that to be his bread and butter. You know he does. So it must really pain him to have to say we have to go to air raid and not lean on the bread and butter that I want for this program. Well, you're going to go to the air raid. Like I said, there's going to be some problems with pass blocking, but you're looking at your wide receiver weapons, and you've got Ahmad Anderson Jr., senior wide receiver. Unfortunately, he's day-to-day. I think it's a lower body injury. Again, remember the sloppiness that we were talking about in terms of the weather. He has Zay Baines, a sophomore receiver. Kind of tall. He's about 6'3". Looks like he's healthy. But then you also have Dante Wright, a junior wide receiver, sort of a shorter guy. Again, day-to-day with injury. So top three wide receivers, and you already have two (laughs) that are struggling with injury. Imagine that on UTSA's end. If we were sending out, you know, Frank to have to play with Willie McCoy. And he hasn't really had much time with Willie McCoy. Or even if he has, it's just, it's going to be a tough bout for him sure. the entire time, right? So EJ's got really kind of up against it. He really spreads it out around, like, all these receivers. So while we're talking about these three receivers, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the only ones getting receptions. They sure. love to throw to the running backs in the flats. Hey, the running backs got to play some part of the game I mean, they're certainly <laughs> not playing they're not rushing the ball so you know they got to be involved in the receiving game right? but would you say i mean i think you had this comment away from the pod when you were kind of scouting that's right atos was scouting a bunch of aac competition this summer you said that they throw out more to the flats because it's sort of a balance to their running game correct yeah i mean it's kind of their extension of the run game so this team uses you know 12 personnel. However, it's going to probably be a little bit different here against UTSA because of the fact that they have so many injuries on the offensive line, so many issues with the offensive line, that even Stan Drayton has said their efficiency on first and second down is bad, which leads them to long third down conversions. What are your thoughts on third downs? Yeah, and that's usually where they go to the tight ends. Um, So if you get into that, or if you see them get into that situation, you're really going to want to watch and see where those tight ends are because those are the, the people that EJ is going to target. Um, and that, that's where he's been most successful, honestly, when making those third down conversions. Right. And, you know, the, unfortunately, they've been put in third down way too many times. Yeah. And because of it, uh, it, it puts them in a position where they're having to struggle with their offense and it sputters. Tell me if you heard that story before with right. UTSA in the first four games of the season. Let's go to the special teams. Tell us a little bit more about safety Sam Martin, who's a kick returner for Temple. Yeah, he had a 95-yard um, kick return for a touchdown in the game against Tulsa. It's probably the brightest spot that they've seen all season on special teams. Other than that, their special teams has been kind of pedestrian. Um, it almost seems like maybe they don't have a lot of faith in their kicker. He's 4 of 6 on the season. He's missed one from the under 40 and then one under 50, but as long as only been a 40-yard field goal this season. So you're likely going to see them try to go on fourth down when they're in those longer yardage situations rather than go for a field goal. I'm not sure if it's because they don't have a lot of faith in him or whether he's just, you know, proven to be inconsistent. Well, the other problem is is the fact that they've been behind so many times in some of these games that they probably had to, like, go ahead and stretch for it, right? Just 
go for it on fourth down. They've got to make something happen. So, you know, it, it's a tough situation at Temple. You know, we're trying to find the bright spots here. We'll talk about the defense, though. Familiar name at defensive coordinator Everett Withers, who was Texas State's head coach for a while. Uh, around the Frank Wilson years, we've seen him a few times. He's actually had a lot of struggles on defense. His key player is Tywin Francis, who's a safety. He's a senior transfer from Colorado State. He leads the team in tackles. Right away, that would pretty much tell you that's a problem, that safety has so many tackles. But the fact is, they actually run sort of a version of the 3-3-5 that UTSA runs. So they usually have a safety that's pretty close to the line of scrimmage. So it kind of makes sense that one of their safeties is leading the team in tackles because they're up so close. Now, as much as I say that, <laughs> there have been so many injuries, not on their secondary, and that is their strength of the team outside of the safeties, but the injuries on the defensive line, they just don't have any depth, and they lost their top defensive lineman in Alan Hay against Tulsa. Uh, he was their no nose tackle, and that's a huge hit. Hence why Tulsa rushed for so many yards. I believe it was over 300 against them. I mean, you lose your nose tackle, you lose one of your, your big-time defensive linemen, it's going to be a rough road. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. Again, we don't know who's going to play quarterback, and with the, the weather situation and Frank's health, even if he does play, not sure that he's going to be able to be as mobile but they really seemed to struggle when they played Tulsa against a quarterback that could get out of the pocket. Tulsa's quarterback, you know, he did a good job of, again, kind of escaping the pressure, running for a couple of yards. It was a little Frank Harris-esque in his runs, although I do think that Frank um, is probably a little quicker than he is when he's healthy. Um, and yeah. so, again, if, if Frank plays and he has the opportunity to be mobile or if Owen plays and can be mobile enough to escape the pocket, I think we can really expose um, the same things that Tulsa exposed in Temple's defensive line. Well, especially with some young guys playing because there is going to be a freshman in Alan Hayes' spot at this point. So, again, taking taking advantage of inexperience there. So that's right. a really good point there. I think that that is something that we'll probably have to think about. So the only other thing I wanted to bring up was linebacker Yvandy Rigby. He is one of their better performers. He is their middle linebacker. However, he's got a lower body injury. So once again, here we are talking about a lower body injury, sloppy game. Do they risk it? Uh, you know, I think it's a long season. So, you know, Drayton's going to be put in the same situation as Trailer. What do I do? Yeah. You know, I do need a player out there, but... Is it enough to risk it for the rest of the year? Uh, you know, it just depends on how he sees it. So let's go to the keys to victory here. On offense, it's going to be simple. I think you have to attack the soft middle. If Rigby's not playing and you definitely have Alan Hay out, that means the middle of the field is going to be soft. Now, that also means that they might, might bring up some of their safeties, as I kind of talked about mm -hmm. with Tywin Francis. I just think that you're going to want to attack them with the inside zone plays that we've seen and the GY counters that we've seen from that's been the bread and butter of you know UTSA's offense. I think this is going to be a game where our three running backs, Kavoria Barnes, Robert Henry, Rocco Griffin, and Rocco Griffin <laughs> are going to be important. I think we use all three of them. Uh, we bash away at this defensive line and this defense overall, use their inexperience against them. And I think it's going to be a better offensive output. I just don't know that it's going to be a completely fantastic one. Again, there's still problems in the UTSA offense. And I don't think they're going to get solved, especially in a 
pretty sloppy conditions that we're anticipating for Saturday. On defense, you know, I think they got to really watch out for these running backs in the flats. You know, you had brought up the fact that, you know, they really do like throwing out to the running backs. And because of it, especially in sloppy conditions, a little over pursuit, you know, you take the wrong angle and all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to lunge and it's, it's tough enough to do it when it's just dry surface, right. but trying to do it in a muddy grass field of Lincoln Financial, we're talking about slipping and we're probably looking at some big gains out of that. So something to think about. <laughs> the other key, which I think you would like to go ahead and just say it. Got to force some turnovers for the love of God. <laughs> We've been talking about the fact that UTSA hasn't been able to force those turnovers. Once again, we're playing a quarterback who is prone to throwing interceptions. Um, Temple has been prone to several turnovers in each of the games so far this season. So hopefully this is the, the game that changes our trajectory and we'll get some turnovers this time. Well, and it's, again, it's a weak offensive line. You know, they just don't have the depth. And because of it, our defensive line should be able to dominate this and really put some pressure on EJ. So, you know, look for those keys. Let's get to our predictions. I will start first. So we've been talking about rain and how it's, you know, going to possibly be raining during the game. Could also be confused with Stan Drayton's tears. Could also be com- confused with Trailer's tears because Trailer has been shedding a lot of them uh, through some of the frustrations we've had in the beginning of the season. Look, this this Temple team is just really in severe need of an infusion of talent. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time. It's like you said, it's a rebuilding team that Drayton has, and it's not something that they're going to be able to scheme out and be able to just overwhelm this UTSA team. You know, for all the frustrations with the non-conference games, you know, I really believe this UTSA team is going to come out. They, they really have something to prove. But again, I don't feel like all of these problems are going to be solved just miraculously because we're playing Temple. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I think we're going to see some good progress. I still think that UTSA, because of the way it's always done it, it was going to play down a little bit to Temple, sure. and they're going to probably let them hang around a little bit too long. You know, things are going to get a little, you know, why are we moving the balls efficiently? What's going on? But I think ultimately, UTSA prevails. Give me UTSA, 31-13, ruining Temple's homecoming. All right, UTSA opens as a 12-point favorite. This is a game we should win. This is a game we can win regardless of who's playing at quarterback, whether it's Frank, Eddie, or Owen. But the question's going to be, is this a game we will win? This is going to be the test of the program, where their mentality is right now. If they come in with that chip on their shoulder and they play like they have something to prove, this, I think, can be an exciting game, regardless of the rain. If we come out flat and we play down to our competition, this could be another wet and miserable game. (laughs) Um, we especially need our defense to step up and play well, regardless of who the quarterback is, so that we can be competitive. Temple's O-line has struggled, and we should be able to create havoc and put pressure on E.J. Warner. Likewise, Temple's defense hasn't played well against the stronger FBS programs. Regardless, I'm concerned that we might allow this game to be closer than it really needs to be. But I do think ultimately UTSA will prevail. Give me UTSA 24-17. to 17. All right, before we go, let's talk about some of the other American conference games that happened this past week. Tulane beat UAB 35-23. to UAB had the lead at halftime, but they let Tulane come alive in the second half and really take charge. 
Well, it has the now viral, you know, uh, moment of Dilford going nuts on a special teams coordinator. So, Mm -hmm. you know, he apologized, but, you know, this is, once again, you know, you you have emotions flying high. You you can't let it show because it, it, to me, it shows a bad, bad representation of your program. Yeah, and and it just tells you again, UAB has made some strides in some areas, but they haven't put the complete package together. Correct. Rice beat East Carolina 24-17. JT Daniels played, but it was clear he wasn't at 100%. Um, They did have the backup quarterback, Chase Jenkins, come in and play part of the game. He seemed competent. I know that that sounds bad, but he seemed like he did well. (laughs) It's clear, (laughs) I know, it's clear that, that Rice's best bet is a healthy or healthy-ish JT Daniels. Which, I mean, as UTSA fans, we used to have that about Frank, right? Like, as long as he's healthy-ish, we need to put him out there. I don't think that's the necessarily the, the story for this season. Mm-hmm. But for Rice, who hasn't really had a quarterback, it shows you just how good a team can be when you have a really good quarterback. Right. Uh, South Florida beat Navy 44-30. to You can definitely see the progress that Alex Golish is making with that team. Yeah, kind of interesting to see how much confidence your team gets after really taking a, a top P5 team to, <laughs> to to the limit there. Yeah. And then SMU beat Charlotte 34-16 to in front of a crowd of about 43,000, and that included all of the Stellar Broadcast Network draw of the 18,000 viewers. <laughs> so I guess it's okay that SMU is not going to get any media money because if all they're drawing is 18,000, I don't, I don't think they really deserve any of the new ACC's money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rough. That's rough. Rough. Well, I mean, and let's be honest. They're playing Charlotte, right? Yeah. Charlotte's awful. But still. I mean, they claim that there were 20-something thousand people watching, 25,000 watching in the stands. But, okay, so they sold 25,000 tickets. There's probably less than 43,000 thousand people in person and on tv watching that game which is which is sad sure Um, yeah sure all right utsa women's soccer it was a rough week for them they fell to north texas zero to two they're going to be on the road for the next three games they're back in action on thursday night at 7 p.m in dallas against smu that game will be on ESPN Plus and will probably have more viewers than the SMU football game. Here we go. <laughs> this is going to be a running thing now, isn't it? Why not? Um, yeah, hopefully they can uh, get some things sorted out, but SMU is a tough team, so we've got to find that offense. We really do. I mean, I, I think that they, they're still struggling when it comes to finding that that last, last few passes um, in, in the last third of the field, so... Equally rough weekend for UTSA Volleyball, who lost back-to-back matches against Rice and Houston. They'll be back at home in the Convocation Center this weekend. Um, There's two chances to see the team Friday at 6 against South Florida and Sunday at 1 against Temple. Rice is a really good ranked team, I believe. I think they're ranked. um, And, you know, they've just had a really good team for a long time. So really wasn't expecting them to do too much, but I thought that they'd did well to like really push rice as much as they could yeah especially in those second sets they got close in each of the games yeah all right well i guess that about wraps it up for us thanks for joining us on the hail mary podcast i'm atoves i'm the toves we'll be back soon to recap our victory over temple birds up